0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions for a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello, this is Pastor Charles Roberts. Welcome to another Out of the Question podcast, and today we are dealing with a question that would be on the minds of many folks is, what's wrong with simply being a New Testament Christian? But there's a much more significant and important question behind that one, as important as that question may be, and that question is, are we not commanded in Scripture to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord? With me today to discuss these issues is my co-host, Andrea Schwartz.
1: Hello, Charles.
0: Well, what do you think about this, Andrea? This is a a pretty big ticket issue. Uh, People today talk about a lot of people, a lot of evangelicals. Well, we're New Testament Christians. We want to follow what Jesus says and all that sort of thing. What what, what do you see are some of the issues relating to this?
1: Well, some of the common expressions you hear are, you know, Jesus's words are only what are in red letters, as if when Jesus spoke, he said to his scribe, this is a red letter word, so please write this down, because this is the only part that I care people listen to or have affect their lives. Well, clearly, that's not the case. And if we even look at the demarcation between the Older and the Newer Testament, we talk about those things in terms of convenience. The apostles didn't speak about the book of Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6. These were things that were added later on to help us get to a particular passage and everybody, so to speak, being on the same page. So when Jesus is referring to the word of God and every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, it was understood then, and he most definitely meant that which we would call the Older, or the Old Testament. And so we have this viewpoint today that some of God's word is more important than others. Some we should take that he means what he says, and others we should take as a suggestion or a nice thought. And to me, when we do that, we basically destroy the scripture and destroy the authority of God's word.
0: Yeah, the larger evangelical world has been on sort of a trajectory going back many, many decades to where, as I think Gary North once said, they think of the Older Testament as the Word of God emeritus. And uh, we've gone from that to where the Old Testament has been largely ignored or laid aside to just focusing on the red letters, as you said, to now where there are many, many evangelical churches where yeah, maybe they have a few scripture passages, but they, these are worship services and study times that are largely devoid of any serious exposition and understanding of holy scripture. But let's go back. The, the, the words that are given to us about um, every word preceding the mouth of God come from the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 8, beginning at verse 2, uh, God's word says, And you shall remember that Yahweh, the Lord your God, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness and to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. And then verse 3, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus famously quoted that same passage in Matthew four four where it says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. You know, there's a couple of interesting things about that. One is that many people who don't know better because they don't know the whole Bible think that this is something Jesus just made up on the spot to refute the Pharisees or whoever. Actually, he's quoting the Older Testament. All of it are his words, old and new, so-called. So he is hearkening back to that earlier statement in the book of Deuteronomy. And if I can be allowed to do so, I wanted to share with our listeners just a very short sentence that Dr. R.J. Rushtun made, a comment he made uh, on this passage in Deuteronomy, where he says the purpose of this text is clearly stated in verse 2, thou shalt remember. An emphasis on historical memory is to be found in the law and the prophets as well as the various books of wisdom. Without the correcting force of godly memory, men will act stupidly, and will repeat their sins endlessly. Wow, what a commentary on modern times.
1: And he cuts to the chase, as he always does, when he's pointing out the presumption of man to decide that he's going to replace his preferences with God's clear words. And I see this taking its toll in people's personal lives, and it certainly takes its toll in the area of Christian dominion and fulfilling the great commission we're given that we have replaced modern conventional everybody knows you don't want to be too extreme you don't want to take that literally because good heavens if you took that literally that would mean everything would change but even the red letter Christians don't take Jesus's words seriously personally and so we have honestly developed another religion that kind of imitates or mimics Christianity, but it's brought into it a lot of other think, modern humanism, modern psychology, New Age thinking, and very few people take God at his word.
0: It's the, um, the age-old problem of syncretism, which, of course, the older covenant people of God were continually having a problem with that ultimately led to their uh, coming under the fierce judgment of God Almighty. Um, thinking that you can blend the cultural trends of the day with your revealed religion from God's word. God won't have any part of that, as he repeatedly told them. So yes, we, it, it, it's the startling fact that we have almost, and well, I won't say how many, but too many churches where people think that they are worshiping as Christians and believing as Christians, when in fact, they are only at best marginally doing so. Thankfully, there are many churches and Groups of Christians who have maintained some fidelity to uh, the truths of God's Word. And I think that some people have the idea that, uh, like you said, Jesus, when he spoke, it came out in red letters or he directed some scribe to do that. I think the history of the red letter editions of the Gospels go back only to the early 1900s, somewhere in that time frame. Before that, all Bibles were printed in just one black type. I mean, I even remember one uh, reform pastor that's known to both of us. He even suggested if you really wanted to do what needed to be done is uh, just tear out the dividing pages between the Older and New Testaments in your Bible. You know, it's all one expression of God's law word.
1: Right. And this goes back to the idea, do we understand that Jesus is the word made flesh? In truth, it's very hard to separate the king of kings from the king's law word and we see it happening repeatedly, part of it is the egalitarian mindset that says, we're not into kings, we're not into monarchies, we're into democracy. Well, you won't find democracy in scripture. And that's a great example of how things get blended in. Because the last thing we want to ever be accused of is being judgmental. So if you're going to rest on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, There's some words that are politically incorrect today, and so you have a lot of emphasis on trying to be Jesus's PR man, his marketing manager, so that people don't get the wrong idea of Christianity. Well, when you do that, people do end up having the wrong idea of Christianity, because it's not Christianity at all.
0: In addition to that, there are people who will argue, for example, especially in in the area concerning political correctness, that, you know, well, Jesus never said this, or he never did that. And I mean, for example, I don't know of any text anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus speaks directly to the issue of uh, homosexuality. But the only way you could even possibly think such a thing is if, whether in theory or in practice, if not both, your operating assumption is that Jesus has absolutely nothing whatever to do with the Older Testament. If, if a person aspires to be a so-called Bible-believing Christian, then they must believe that the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation is God's word. Of all people who, well, I should say some of our listeners may be surprised, maybe that's a better way to put it, R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Matthew, uh, this section where Jesus from Matthew 4-4 quotes this passage in Deuteronomy, Dr. Sproul made this observation. He says, uh, we cannot live by bread alone. We need bread and something else. Notice that Jesus did not say that man needs bread and also the word of God. He said every word. We do not live that way, which distances us immediately from Jesus. We think the Bible is like a smorgasbord, so that we can choose a bit of Matthew and Luke and some Romans, but leave behind Leviticus.
1: Right. It's people who live by verses. I don't even like saying it. Like, there's this verse yeah. I like to refer to it as passages and passages in a greater work. And as the expression goes, if you take a text out of context, you have a pretext. So you can get any text to say whatever you want. The, the most famous one is that the Bible says there's no God. Well, if you forget to say that the book of Proverbs says the fool says in his heart, there is no God, then you can say the Bible says there's no God. See, it's right there in the Bible. So that would be a, probably the most obvious example of a pretext because you're deciding, I want the Bible to say what I want it to say.
0: Well, my favorite example is the uh, – the, 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 and I don't mean to be um, macabre or uh, gauche with this, but the, the, the humorous statement that you can, you can prove biblically that suicide is okay and justified in the Bible. Uh, Judas hanged himself, go thou and do likewise. You know, I've I've quoted two texts and, you know, but the interesting thing is, is that when you move beyond just a, you know, fourth grade Sunday school level of understanding of scripture, you start to realize that, okay, that particular text that I always thought was just a, a little thing that you'd say has a much greater context. It's a part of a passage, which is a part of a chapter, which is a part of a book. And the further you gain in maturity and understanding, you realize that whether it's the Gospel of Matthew, the letter of Paul to the Romans, or the book of Leviticus, all of it's part of a much greater whole that, in God's great wisdom and providence, works together. They're all interconnected. You you can't pull out one of the planks without doing damage to to the rest of it. And that's why we have this sort of bizarre pseudo-Christianity and uh, a large number of uh, Uh, And we're speaking of so-called conservative evangelical churches.
1: Right. But even the people who claim to be New Testament Christians and count that as a plus, the New Testament has a lot to say about homosexuality and fornication and adultery. So somehow or other, they decide, well, okay, the letters of Paul, they're not red letters. We're just going to go, we're going to reduce everything down. We're going to shrink it down to red letters And then it gets to the point where there are whole books that are published on the promises of God, but without putting the conditions of those promises. So we're going to claim all the promises, but we forget that these are not unconditional promises. Just like God, even though it's promoted, does not love us unconditionally. The condition is Calvary. And the condition is God calling a people to himself, not everybody, those whom God calls. So if you're just going to extract the promises, then what you're doing is you're sort of making it up as you go along, or you're going along with somebody who made it up as he went along.
0: Yeah, and continuing just for another minute or so on this issue of things being taken out of context or just focusing you know, um, uh, on the uh, the red letters, um, you have other examples where people can take little snippets and uh, conjure up ideas that, uh, that really in the long run don't mean anything like what they're supposed to. For example, uh, in the book of Psalms or Proverbs, it's escaping me which of the two, but in the King James Version, it reads, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, or something like that. It's very close to that there was a famous little book published with that title as a man thinketh i mean it sold hundreds and hundreds of copies over the years and it's a little book about you know mental inspiration and success motivation but i mean after all doesn't it say that well actually it doesn't say that in the sense of what our modern day you know mind science type people want to think that it means matter of fact if you look at some of the other translations it it means something very different than you know whatever you think is going to be you can have it you can you know gin up this success attitude that that is completely different from what the the context of that text means but let me ask you this we are making the case based on what god's word says both in deuteronomy and as it reinforced in jesus words in matthew as recorded in matthew 4 that we are to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of god How does that look? What does that look like, do you think?
1: Well, let me tell you what it doesn't look like, Okay, okay? because that might be a better way to broach the subject. I do a lot of mentoring, teaching, coaching, commiserating, counseling, predominantly with women in the context of how to be a godly wife and mother. And there are times where I hear them lament that, They don't know what to do. God is punishing them for their sins. And they go on and on. And I have to go, hold on a second. God is punishing you for your sins. I thought that's what happened at Calvary. So I think you're basically operating off a different religion. Or I just, I worry so much about my family and and I'm concerned and I try to do as much as I can. And I say, okay, didn't Jesus say, His burden was easy and his yoke was light. In other words, you obviously don't believe those things. You don't believe that Jesus redeemed you from your sins. You don't believe that you don't have to carry the burden. You obviously don't believe Psalm 127 that says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. You have Christians who tell everybody they're Christians and then they'll, you know, suffer on being a Christian that they're expecting that they're going to have to have, they have to do all this work on their own. So I'll ask them, what do you think it means when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you? Or if God before you, who can be against you? I don't think you believe him because you're acting quite contrary to those words.
0: And if the operating assumption is in terms of the family or in terms of education or in terms of, uh, you know, politics and government, um, if the only thing we have to pay attention to are the red letters, then you can very easily find yourself in the kind of dilemma that you're just describing. You know, and uh, we, we, as we've already said, we have people operating claiming to be Christians when, in fact, they've redefined in practice what that really is. And so, therefore, when the rubber meets the road and the crises uh, arise in any of these areas that I just mentioned, then if they don't know the words that proceed from the mouth of God, they will find them somewhere else. Either they will mistake them from something taught by Scripture because some phony preacher or teacher has told them that, or they'll listen to Oprah Winfrey or Wayne Dyer or whoever the latest trendy Dr. Phil uh, who will give them some mushy substitute. Uh, but this is, this is the challenge. Uh, God's word is serious. It is meant to govern all aspects of life. And insofar as we uh, decline from it, as we don't, it, whether it's an intentional turning away, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the way that makes me feel or think, and that's going to put me in a bad light with my friends, or we just are ignorant of it because we haven't studied it. Then when, as I said, the challenges and crises of life inevitably come, If we don't have that word, if all we have is mush and nonsense, we won't survive. But praise God, by his spirit, if we are open to his leading, he has given us his word and his truth as a means by which we can live and flourish. And as Jesus said, live life to full abundance.
1: It's not a great analogy, but let's say you owned a mansion or you owned a luxurious car, a high-performing, well-engineered car but you didn't know how to get inside. Why not read the instruction manual? Wouldn't the instruction manual tell you, oh, this is a keyless remote, or this is the code to get in to override the security system? So you'd have this great treasure, but you'd have no access to it because number one, either you didn't read the instructions or number two, you decided, well, it couldn't really mean that. It would have to mean something else. So I'm not denying that there aren't sincere people who really do want to serve God, but they need to be shaken up a bit and say, don't go through everything saying, oh, I read my Bible every year and not look at every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is how you're supposed to live. So if you're supposed to be anxious for nothing, but by all prayer and supplication, make your requests known, that be anxious for nothing is a command. It's not like you're just so good for just stressing out because you want the best for your family and for for those around you. No, he says, be anxious for nothing. So we're not doing a good job when we disregard God.
0: Well, and the problem is, is that some people become anxious because they don't realize that God has indeed spoken his law word concerning every area of life. So they feel like that either there's no no trustworthy word to rely on uh, or they've got to find some solution that it never occurs to them that God's word has spoken it. You know, somewhere you may, you may remember this. I don't know if it was a title of an article. I think it was an article maybe in uh, the Chalcedon report, faith for all of life uh, magazine, but it was called um, something like the word of the lowest, com- every word of the lowest common denominator, <laughs> you know, and I don't think Dr. Rustini wrote it. Someone wrote that with that title, and uh, it, it all comes down to that in, in some measure for people. But I, I want to get back to this issue we've been talking about, too, about how this downgrade and decline in people's understanding of how God's word speaks to every area of life and how, you know, every word that proceeds from his mouth is something that binds us and that we are accountable to, you know, how do we get in this situation? Well, think of it this way, if to use another analogy. If you bought some new device, whether it be a phone or a digital camera, and you were having a problem with it, wouldn't you want the, the input from somebody who really, really knows about that device, someone who spent time studying it, who's been certified as a mechanic or a, a repair person, uh, rather than, say, uh, re- talking to your friend who has the same camera? Well, that may be of some help, but they don't have the kind of training as the so-called expert. See. Uh, now, the, the analogy comes in in the church world where or compare it to, say, a medical doctor. You know, that's another area where if you have a problem with your health, well, you want the input of a, someone who knows medicine, uh, who knows health issues, uh, as opposed to l- looking up something on the Internet or talking to a friend who had the same ailment. Again, those may be okay, but I think most of us, when we're facing really, really big ticket issues with our health, we want to know we're getting the kind of insight we really need. And, you know, a doctor is someone who is trained. He or she goes to um, college and then medical school. They have to do their boards and get certified. They have a certain amount of internships they do at a hospital and all this sort of thing. And it's interesting to compare that analogy with the clergy because we, too, we go to college, we go to seminary. We are examined for licensure and given a license, and eventually we are ordained. Most of us have had to do an internship somewhere. But let me tell you something, Andrea, that's where the analogy stops. Because now, hopefully in California, it's different than, you you, you couldn't get away with this as anywhere else. But, you know, if I decided to uh, read up on medicine and I get some phony medical degree or license from some phony organization and I rent some space at a storefront, in Fresno, uh, and I claim I'm a doctor, and I start taking on patients, I think pretty quick I would be shut down.
1: Well, I'm going to stop you here only because I think your analogy where it's useful to understand that you want to consider the source. So clearly, if I break my arm, I'm not going to go to the butcher down the street and say, could you fix my arm, nor am I going to go to the hairdresser, because I'll have a sense that if I go to the urgent care I'll have someone who knows how to set the arm. The problem with the analogy is that there are a lot of people who represent themselves as clergy. There are a lot of megachurches that will teach a prosperity gospel. And as you pointed out earlier, don't necessarily reference scripture. They may take you know a phrase and build a whole sermon around it, which actually perverts what it is. And it goes back to when the command is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, God expects individual people to inter- interact with his word rather than saying, Hey, I'm going to go to someone who's going to tell me what to believe. Because for example, my experience with doctors is sometimes they're very good in emergency situations, but they'll just spout the, pop, the you know, the party line in terms of the only way to deal with something is this medication. So, as in medicine and health, and as in interacting with God's Word, the individual is responsible and to have many counselors, as opposed to just one, to be able to ascertain what's the truth, what's the best way to proceed.
0: And if they're going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, they need to know what that word is and how to understand it. Certainly someone can continually, as you pointed out, read through the scriptures every year and be oblivious to this very point. So godly guidance and instruction from, say, like a ministry such as uh, the Chalcedon Foundation uh, are vital uh, to understanding what it means to live by every word. Mentoring is another vital component. Uh, Someone who is actively doing this uh, it doesn't matter if it's been altogether successful. We're going to have our failures, but at least the person is on the road moving forward. Uh, the problem is most people aren't, and, uh, or they're moving in the wrong direction.
1: All right. Chalcedon's tagline is a think tank for the self-governing Christian. Chalcedon doesn't want to govern everyone. It's not a centralized, you must, you know, look at what Chalcedon says, or look at what R.J. Rushduni said, or what Charles says, or what Andrea says, and now that becomes fact the whole idea is to equip people to interact with God's word in such a way as to then further the kingdom of God. And so first and foremost, we have to establish, which I think you said, and and many people who will listen to this will agree, Genesis to Revelation is God's revelation. In other words, this is what God wants us to know. But if you're going to get to a particular book of the Bible or a particular series of chapters and find some of those words uncomfortable or nobody could take that seriously or whatever it is, people are going to be unable to really affect the culture if they can't affect improvement in their own personal lives and in the lives of their families and those they're closest to. So then they will look for, Some guru who will tell them how to lose weight, how to be strong, how to avoid cancer, whatever it's going to be. But if they don't have a grounding in God's word, how will they know if somebody is promoting something that's genuine, that's going to be successful, and is even in line with scripture?
0: And that goes back to the foundation of one of the key points of God's word, and that is that the family is the source and the central institution in which this should begin to flourish and uh, by which the person is taught to govern themselves according to God's law and his word. And if it is lacking there, then it's going to be challenging at the minimum uh, to surmount that. It certainly can be, but Godly instruction in the home is one of the most vital, important parts of uh, understanding what it means to live and feast on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord.
1: And I don't know why parents think that clergy need to be trained, plumbers need to be trained, doctors and lawyers need to be trained. Parents need to be trained. Well, do you go to parenting school? No, you go to the Word of God, and then with the guidance of teachers and hopefully, a faithful church, which should be the teaching ministry to help you fulfill that much better, then constantly we have to be learning and applying and being corrected and getting counsel so that we fulfill our task as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers in such a way that when people come to us, there's the same sort of certainty that says, okay, now I'm going to someone If I need someone to fix my pipes, I'm going to research and find out, does this person know how to do it? Do I get recommendations? In other words, living life on the family level has to be something that we're constantly equipping ourselves with. It just doesn't happen you wake up one day and I'm now a good parent.
0: And, you know, we talked about what does it look like uh, when you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord, and we are approaching that from the standpoint of, well, this is what it looks like when you don't. We can extend that analogy to other areas where we can see what's going on in our modern society, some of the issues that we've talked about in this podcast uh, more than a few times. People even bother to ask themselves, when I uh, am looking at political uh, movements, uh, elections, candidates, um, what's going on in the current political climate? Does it ever occur to people that every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord speaks directly to that? Uh, or in terms of educating my children or educating myself, you know, what what sort of book should I read? What what does God actually have to say to me about this? And the area of uh, sexuality. Does God's word say anything about uh, how a man is to act as a man or a woman as a woman and husbands and wives and children? And the fact that most people uh, ignore that is being very clearly seen in our culture today. I, I came across a video just earlier. It was somebody posted it on their Facebook page. Uh, it was a video of a, of a 10-year-old boy who's a drag queen. And uh, I mean, it just you, you sit and watch things like this, and just it's hard to fathom uh, where this culture will be in, a, in another couple of years. Well, in some ways, it's not hard to fathom, uh, as we, we've talked about more than a few times uh, in our podcast. But uh, as, as humanism and secularism continue to implode and get uh, ever more bizarre and spin off into all kinds of just absolutely horrific and, and ridiculous directions... It is up to we who understand that we are to live according to God's word to educate ourselves and to provide that alternative and, uh, and that example.
1: And so you've correctly identified where humanistic culture is going and the fact that it's collapsing. But this is where I go back to living by every word. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, He told those who were there, and by extension us, that all power and authority was given to him. And then his therefore was, I'm sharing a degree of that with you, and this is what I want you to do. So we've been commissioned. You know, we're commissioned officers. It's the great commission. And we have to live with the understanding that all power and authority is Embraced in understanding that Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Therefore, when the Bible also says that the gates of hell will not prevail, let's believe God's word. That's all about walking by faith rather than sight. So if you focus just on what's happening around you, what the local newspaper or the local cable channel or what you see on Facebook, you know that. 10-year-old drag queen, which I don't know what you're referring to other than you said you saw it, there is a deluded demonic spirit that's pervading that, and the way that that will be combated not isn't so much by going out and picketing wherever that person is, but by educating people, Christian education for children, biblical education for those who had a terrible education growing up in terms of secular and humanistic ideas, and then believe God when he says that the gates of hell won't prevail. They certainly will prevail if we don't do anything and we don't act according to our commission, but they won't prevail when we do what God says, because God is true. God doesn't lie.
0: And on the flip side of that, let's also be reminded, as Dr. Rush Dooney pointed out on several occasions, that the text um, in Matthew 18, I believe it is, the language literally means that hell will not be able to withstand the onslaught. The gates of hell won't be able to withstand the onslaught of God's church, of God's people. You know, it's not the church cowering and hoping the gates don't collapse under the onslaught of hell. It's supposed to be the other way around. And uh, if we aren't seeing that, it's it's because we, as God's elect people, are not doing what he's called us to do, which is, and that brings us back to the original point, God calls us to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth, which is given to us in Holy Scripture.
1: Right. So this works on the personal level, and it works on the societal level. Just one example, Um, lots of women struggle with their weight. Lots of women have problems. They don't look the way they did, let's say, when they got married. They've had number of children. And so I imagine that diet books and diet plans and all these things are the big craze, and somebody makes a lot of money. And so when I'm dealing with people and that's their issue, or at least that's what they think is their presenting issue, I'll say, let's go back to the scripture. And they're like, I can't believe that you think God has anything to do with how I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I said, well, you know, first of all, don't you think God's interested in food? So what does the Bible say about food? What does it say about things like gluttony? What is gluttony? Are you a glutton? Is it a good thing to be a glutton? Is it better to be a glutton than be an adulterer? Or does God just say that gluttonous people, you know, have uh, are going to receive his wrath as well? And so I give them two passages of scripture to think about. That one says whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So I say, just write down what you ate today. And then at the end of the day, look at it and and ask yourself, when I ate this or I drank that, did I do it to the glory of God? And oftentimes they'll say, well, of course not. And I say, oh, okay, that's where you have to start. Because you actually have control over what you put in your mouth, and you need to know what sources are reliable in terms of what's good health and what's not. And it's not always what, quote unquote, everybody knows. So again, we're back into having to research something to know how to apply that just very short passage to our lives. And then the other passage that I refer them to is that anything that's not done in faith is sin, which means that if you're not self-consciously and deliberately in your actions, in what you say, Deciding that this is in uh, concert, this is in alignment with what God's word says, then it's sin. Well, then you have people saying, You mean like everything I say, I should measure against scripture? And I said, Yeah, that's kind of what it says. <laughs> so, on a, on a very personal level, once we get into the practice of doing it, when we recognize we haven't done it, that's where we go and we confess it. But there's so many people walking around considering that which God's Word says is sin, and they're calling it virtue.
0: Well, I think that we have uh, hopefully given our listeners some food for thought, speaking of which to follow, to sort of key off on our our text today. And uh, we would appreciate any uh, input from our our listeners if they would like to write us and give us their thoughts and comments about what it means to uh, live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And uh, maybe we can recommend some, some resources for folks who really want to take this seriously. What would you suggest? Anything, uh, Andrea?
1: Well, I mean, it goes back to in the, in the area of health and wellness. I suggest Dr. Rush Juni's book, Faith and Wellness, where he really goes into the whole idea of how health is something that the Christian should pursue and we should expect. And that when we see the contrary – that it has to do with either us as individuals or societally failing to abide by what God says. Knowing full well that there's going to come a time where we pass, but the philosophy being that we should pursue health as much as possible so we can continue to be active members of the kingdom of God and working to further it. And then, of course, any um, delving into biblical law so that you will know what the every word is that proceeds out of the mouth of God in terms of understanding what God commands us to do, and that, of course, would be any of the three volumes of the Institutes of Biblical Law.:
0: And in addition to those resources, um, I would heartily recommend to our listeners uh, the uh, I think it's seven volumes, uh, a word in season. These are, are, are daily messages that can be used as devotions, but they are an excellent example. Uh, most of them are only maybe two or three pages at the longest of how uh, every word of, of the Lord is applied in areas of life uh, from family, church, state, uh, entertainment, television, uh, just any and everything. This ranges across a massively wide area of topics and issues and um, easy to read format. So uh, get all seven volumes. It's It's a marvelous resource to have.
1: Excellent. And when you're reading this, you'll see it. Um, obviously, it's posted somewhere. I usually put the uh, resources links to them so it's easy for you to find. And let me say that, as Charles had said, if you want to communicate with us directly, out of the question podcast at gmail.com is the best way to do it, where we'll consider not only your reactions and input to what we've talked about, but additionally, if there are subjects that you would like to see us cover.
0: Well, with that, we'll thank our listeners for tuning in today, and we will look forward to our next podcast. Until then, thank you, Andrea.
1: Thank you, Charles. Next time. Thanks for
0: listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.